So good afternoon and good evening and even good morning for some of you. Um, <clears throat> when I went to college, uh, not knowing the area, we rented an apartment near the college. The air there was really thick with smog and heavy haze. But we were used to that having lived in Los Angeles for some years before. Uh, so one day, one of my friends asked if I wanted to go on a hike. And I agreed, imagining a long, sneak drive to a destination. And she drove for a few minutes in a direction I hadn't explored yet. And to my shock, less than one mile from my home, the glorious San Gabriel Mountains began to emerge from the smog. This is a little bit how our minds tend to be. The heavy haze of our thoughts or ideas or desires and aversions, they can keep us from seeing things as they really are. Mindfulness practice brings us closer and closer to ourselves. We can gradually emerge from the haze allowing the beautiful qualities of a clear mind to be seen. So the, the topic of this, uh, of this talk today is wisdom. I think Matthew has been hinting at the topic for a bit. Um, the Pali word of, for wisdom is pana or panya. It's also sometimes translated as discernment. In terms of mindfulness practice, it's seeing clearly what actions of the body, of speech, and of thought are beneficial in our lives and lead towards our happiness and freedom, and which actions are harmful and lead to suffering. Now, the authority on this, Wikipedia, uh, defines wisdom as to, complicate, to contemplate an action using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. I didn't realize that they knew anything about insight, but uh, here it is. So the teachings refer to three kinds of wisdom. And all of them are, have an important place in our spiritual life. And it's wisdom acquired through learning, through reflection, and in developing meditation. So the first kind of wisdom is wisdom acquired through learning. Um, in terms of the practice, it might include meditation instructions, learning about the Eightfold Path, uh, reading, listening to talks, studying. These can give us the tools we need or the framework through which to develop or continue to deepen our practice. It's a cognitive side of wisdom. It requires thoughtfulness. It requires thinking. And certain perspectives can be very helpful for us to engage in the practice. Uh, an example, for instance, um, 
learning about karma can inspire us in practice. Karma points out that our actions, physical, mental, or verbal, make a difference and have consequences. For instance, if we wanted to learn to play a musical instrument, we need the confidence that our training will make a difference in our skill level over time, that we're going to get better if we keep practicing. Otherwise, we wouldn't bother, we wouldn't persevere. The law of karma and neuroscience says that whatever we practice is what we develop. If we practice meditation, practice mindfulness, or mindfulness and concentration naturally strengthen. If we practice distracting ourselves on the internet from one thing to another, those distracted habits of mind strengthen. So that's wisdom through learning. The second kind of wisdom is wisdom acquired through reflection. Reflection is essential to us for making many of the important choices in our lives for developing a deeper understanding of the things we learn from others instead of blindly believing authority. For instance, um, when I first learned about wise speech, I heard the word to refrain from idle chatter. And soon after I, after that, I, um, after I first was exposed to it, I ran into my next door neighbor on my way out for a walk. And, you know, I was very inspired by wise speech. And we started talking, and most of what we were saying seemed to fall into the realm of idle chatter. You know, nice weather, I hope it stays this way for the weekend. You know, nothing particularly significant. And as I continued on my walk, I reflected on it. The words themselves were mostly relevant. The real communication was the friendliness and connection underneath the idle words. The words themselves were just tools for conveying the warmth, for creating a friendly atmosphere, instead of uh, staring at my neighbor in silence that wouldn't have been so so friendly. It can be very rich to reflect, to think about the important themes in our lives. But I think it's important to keep it separate from formal meditation practice. It's good to reflect mindfully, to know we're reflecting, and not to use it as distraction from meditation when meditation feels challenging. I know personally when I've been having, uh, when I had a hard time uh, on a retreat or in a sitting, you know, I go, oh, well, let me think about this this uh, spiritual idea, you know, and uh, instead of really meeting the difficulty itself. The third kind of wisdom is the insight that comes from developing meditation what Wikipedia was referring to, I guess. Um, When I first learned about the Four Noble Truths, uh, the idea that clinging or grasping causes suffering resonated with me intellectually, but it wasn't real to me. It didn't start becoming real 
until I began to have the direct experiences of the relief we can experience when we release or grasping. When I set my very first retreat, which was a 10-day retreat, I planned carefully so I could easily be away for that long, which included doing my complicated tax return. I finished it just before I had to leave for the retreat, but I didn't get a chance to print it or back it up. This was at a time where backup drives were rare, so it was quite a while ago. When I got to the retreat center, there was a call from my husband. The computer died, and he asked me what he should do. My mind is filled with anger. Why did he tell me? Why didn't he wait till the retreat was over? I couldn't do anything from here. But I didn't want my last communication with him for 10 days to be hostile. So I pretended I was okay and told him I'd look at it when I got home. No big deal. But in that first sitting, I experienced the dukkha of regret. Why didn't I print it? This shouldn't have happened. How could he call me? And so on and on. At some point, and maybe not even in that sitting, might have taken more than one sitting, a tiny little voice reminded me of why I came on retreat. And as that voice got louder, I finally began recognizing my grasping, the pain of clinging, and seeing clearly that it wasn't helping anything. Gradually, the distress relaxed. And at some point, I finally was totally okay with what had happened. And it was such a relief. I was able to see the huge contrast between grasping and non-grasping. Between it shouldn't be that way. And, oh, that's what happened. And this was real. It was actually a great way to start a retreat. Um, And... um, You know, it's like Matthew said, you know, real, realize. We realize what's real. This is real. Wisdom arises naturally when we pay attention. It comes from developing the qualities of mind like mindfulness, patience, effort, concentration, that allow us to see deeply into the nature of our experience. We do use some thinking as we practice mindfulness, such as recognizing when we're distracted or bringing the attention back to the breath or noticing if there's tension if there's resistance to our experience. Often we do those things with a little bit of thinking. We might notice when we relax. We might recognize calm and peace. So thinking that way in just a very light touch, recognizing what's there, that can be useful. But when the mind gets quieter and quieter, Mindfulness practice becomes more of a non-discursive investigation of our experience. We're paying attention without all those thoughts. 
the thoughts that were helpful at the beginning of the sitting, like kindly escorting our attention back to the breath, they begin to drop off. We begin to see things more clearly for what they are instead of being filtered through ideas and concepts without needing to make judgments and conclusions. And as mindfulness becomes more penetrating, we begin to see the three universal characteristics of experience, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, the Pali. The first um, is the obvious that all experience is impermanent and inconstant. It's obvious and uh, it needs to be real. We tend to uh, cling to things and give them a sense of permanence. You know, I'm... I'm um, uh, I'm in a marriage, you know, I have kids, I have uh, um, a profession, you know, this is who I am. We tend to think that these are permanent. And then when we lose them, uh, you know, we, we have grief. But every moment is impermanent. And there's a certain depth to that experience that can be incredibly freeing. And so what the practice does, it gets us into the much deeper sense of that obvious, um, you know, more superficial understanding that we have. And the second uh, characteristic is no experience that we can have can give us lasting satisfaction or happiness. Since everything changes, nothing is going to make us There's no thing that's going to make us happy, that's going to satisfy us. And the third thing is that nothing we experience can be be seen as a stable self that we can point to as me. You know, it's my little toe me. You know, it's um, my hair that uh, was once brown, me. you know, the little two-year-old me. <laughs> um, there's nothing we can point to that can be me. As we meet these three aspects directly, but without the filter of thoughts and ideas, wisdom can grow. That's the deepest wisdom of insight. It comes from that place, not the growth that comes from reflecting on something but it's something deeper yet. And when we do that, we can see the suffering that comes if we resist the constant change of experience. We begin to know a happiness and ease that's not dependent on our changing conditions. If we depend on on anything, we're like yo-yos. Oh, good, something happened. Great. Oh, no, that happened. Terrible. And up and down and up and down. And when we come from this place uh, that's not dependent on changing conditions, 
there's a deep sense of ease and happiness that can arise. We can see our limitations and imperfections without judgment, without believing that they define who we are. The full development of wisdom, of insight, comes when the heart and mind don't cling to or resist anything. When we can allow experience to arise and pass through just as it is. And from this place, we can make wiser choices in our actions. We can learn to do what's needed, even when challenging, without the mind and heart becoming contracted or tense. This full development of wisdom comes from within ourselves, not from a teacher, not from books or beliefs or from thinking, from the development of our own mind. We might compare the three kinds of wisdom to becoming a potter. Um, We might acquire wisdom from learning from a pottery teacher who teaches us about the materials, the processes, the tools, about form and proportion. As we begin to learn to center the clay on the wheel and to shape it, we can learn more by reflecting on our own experience. What did we do to center it, to make the walls thick or thin, tall or short? We start to get a feel for it. We can become mindful of all the subtleties of the clay. And as we begin to more fully develop our skill, the mind becomes fully focused on centering the clay. Any additional thoughts aren't needed. As we shape it in the direction we planned, a few directive thoughts might come and go, but mostly discursive thought isn't needed. And what we've done is learn from our own actions, from our own experience, by observing and evaluating what we made. And the same is true in meditation. By being mindful of our experience, noticing the sensations of the breath, of the body, noticing whatever arises and passes, such as desires and aversions, learning to allow it all to come and go without resistance, without grasping. The mind gradually settles and quiets, and we see more and more clearly, allowing the wisdom of insight to arise. Everything we do, be it of body, speech, or mind, nourishes something. For instance, if we're in the habit of being critical of others, whenever we're critical, we strengthen the habit 
if we practice being kind in how we consider others, eventually that can become our default way of being. Same thing can happen in meditation. When I first started uh, to meditate, I noticed that I would start most sittings very restless, my mind moving quickly from one thing to another. But after about 15 to 20 minutes, my mind would begin to calm. So I got in the habit of not really paying attention much for those first 15 minutes of the sit. I wouldn't begin to really pay attention until I began to be a bit calm. And since I kept practicing like that, the pattern held true. Until at some point, and it took me a while, um, I finally realized that those first 15 minutes were filled with hindrances, with restlessness, with desire, with aversion, with doubts, and that the point of the practice was to see clearly, regardless of what was present. I gradually began to turn towards the restlessness, towards the recurring aversions and desires. Over and over again, nourishing mindfulness. As I open more fully to observing the restlessness, the aversions and desire, I got to know them and was no longer in a hurry to get calm. And gradually it transformed those first 15 minutes into a rich, valuable part of my practice. Wisdom informs us what actions lead to happiness as opposed to what actions lead to unhappiness and entanglement. It informs the choices we make. It can be really easy to see that an action of the body, um, such as piling up the dirty dishes and not washing them for a week, it's not an action that leads to happiness in particular if you live live with someone else. It can be easy to see that an action of speech, such as yelling at your boss, might not lead to happiness. But it's a little more subtle when it comes to actions of thinking, of thoughts. We have this insidious tendency to believe our thoughts. Imagine for a moment how you would feel If instead of meditating, we asked you to spend an hour focusing on things you don't like about yourself, things you don't like about people you know, and things you don't like about the world, how do you think you would feel after an hour? How different would it feel if you focused on appreciating your own good qualities, the qualities of the people you know, or maybe what's beautiful in the world? Mindfulness can give us enough space to choose how we nurture our minds, to make choices that are beneficial to us. No, I'm not going to dwell on regret right now. No, I'm not going to rehearse that conversation for the 10th time, 20th time. No. I don't need to fantasize. I've given myself this precious time to be on retreat. I can fantasize any time. Right now, I'll devote myself to the present. No, I don't need to believe that thought. 
Yes, I can relax a little more. Yes, I can be present for this. We often tend to see what we want to see or what we expect to see. Uh, There's a little Zen story about this. Um, Two people visited Zen Master. The first one says, I'm thinking of moving to this town. What's it like? The Zen Master asks, what was your old town like? They respond, Oh, it was dreadful. Everyone was hateful. I hated it. The Zen master says, this town is very much the same. I don't think you should move here. The first person leaves and the second one comes in. The second one says, I'm thinking of moving to this town. What's it like? Zen master asks, what was your old town like? They respond, It was wonderful. Everyone was friendly and I was happy. I'm just interested in a change. The Zen master says, this town is very much the same. I think you'll like it here. Mindfulness trains the mind to see what's there under all our habitual ways of seeing without our habitual context. Um, you might have heard of the study where a school teacher was given a class of underachievers, uh, but she was told that they were gifted students. Believing what she was told, she treated them as if they were gifted. She expected them to be smart, and expecting it, she found it. The students flourished far beyond the expectations for underachievers. If we hold the belief that people are not trustworthy, we tend to look for ways that they're not. If we hold the belief that people are trustworthy, we might naively not notice someone's dishonesty. If we dislike someone, we might only notice their negative qualities. It doesn't matter that this is a complex person with many attributes, including positive ones. We often see that in divorce, suddenly this wonderful person that they were in love with for 20 years has only negative qualities. As we practice, we can develop the ability to see things as they are without all the constructs of our habitual beliefs and ideas. It's very helpful to not believe everything we think. Wise intention is the second step of the Eightfold Path. And it emphasizes three qualities rooted in wisdom that inform our actions. The first is non-harming, or ahimsa. The purpose of the path is to be free of suffering. 
If we judge ourselves or experience harshly, it causes us harm. Can we meet our experience with kindness and non-harming? On the first day of retreat, we might not recognize our suffering as a struggle we bring to a restless or sleepy mind or a painful body. Can we meet these states with kindness, with patience, and not add judgment to it? The second quality is goodwill, the intention of goodwill, an attitude of friendliness towards ourselves and others. And the third quality of wise intention is renunciation or letting go. In meditation, every time we let go of a story or fantasy or desire that we're grasping, it's a moment of renunciation, of letting go. Um, Tell you another Zen story that speaks to this. Um, And many of you know this already, but um, it's a sweet story. Um, A Zen master lived the simplest kind of life in a little hut at the foot of a mountain. One evening while the Zen master was away, a thief sneaked into the hut only to find there was nothing to steal. The Zen master returned and found the thief and said, you've come a long way to visit me. Uh, You should not return empty-handed. Please take my clothes as a gift. The thief was bewildered that he took the clothes and ran away. The master sat naked, watching the moon, and mused. Poor fellow, I wish I could give him this beautiful moon. It's a heart of goodwill, of letting go. The Buddha said, there's no wisdom without concentration and no concentration without wisdom. I think he was referring to the meditative wisdom. To To develop the stability of concentration, it requires the wisdom to notice what's helpful in developing concentration and what takes us away from it. When we pay attention, we see clearly that paying attention to the breath or the body calms the mind. That being relaxed helps the mind get stable. The planning what we'll have for dinner takes us away. Striving to get concentrated takes us away. Concentration is something that builds as we practice. But there's some concentration available to us at any point, even though maybe only enough to watch two breaths before we get distracted. But each time we come back to the breath, it strengthens. And even with what may seem like a small amount of concentration, it still allows the wisdom of investigation to see clearly that planning isn't helpful. So we can let go of that planning. 
which in turn strengthens her concentration. This development of concentration is considered to be an important doorway into the development of wisdom. Those deepest states where the insights arise uh, require the mind to be quiet and still. If we look through the surface of a pond when the wind is blowing and the pond's agitated, we can't see the bottom um, or there's any reflection on the surface of the surroundings. But if the pond becomes still, we can see to the bottom as well as the reflection in the surface. In the same way, when the mind becomes still, we can see clearly allowing the wisdom of insight to arise. So I'd like to um, end with a quote from Ajahn Chah. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course and your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Let's share a few minutes of silence. 